0: Yeah, this is a no-brainer. I'm bringing Paul Metza back onto the show. Uh, eight-time Minnesota Music Award-winning songwriter, musician, author, radio host, and cultural historian, Paul Metza is re-releasing his song "Jack Ruby" in conjunction with the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination. He's also releasing the video of Jack Ruby in conjunction with producer John McCallie. He's going to join us to talk about that eventually, but we're just going to find out, and we'll just—it's going to be two Minnesotans talking about stuff. Hi, Paul. How are you today? Do we have Paul there? Good,
1: Matt. How are you?
0: There you go. There he is. I'm uh, doing well. Uh, yeah, I'm here. All right. You're. Are you, I can hear you. Can you? Yeah. Okay. Are you? Uh, you're up in Duluth right now, right? I am.
1: Yeah. I'm speaking to you from the west end of Duluth, and it's a little overcast, but a gorgeous day. It's probably mid 40s. Might have time after the interview to take the dog to the dog bark.
0: Well, there you go. There, there, there the, the the exciting life. Of your of, of of the your 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 Duluth <laughs> resident there things I'm glad you're here I'm actually very glad you're here for this reason you helped me out greatly with something I uh I was went down to New Orleans and you not only hooked me up with a friend of yours Molly who set me in the right direction with some ideas about things we could do uh, that night but I also I wanted to chat with you because I got down to Preservation Hall. And I got in there, and we watched a seven-piece jazz band play six songs. It was the best jazz concert I ever heard. Right. Shannon Powell, the great legendary jazz drummer, was there. But even more impressive was Charlie Gabriel, the 91-year-old sax aficionado, who played, who sat in with the band, played with them, did not miss a note. And get, treated us to one of the greatest jazz moments I'll ever have in my entire wow. life. So it, it, how, how often have you gone down? How often have you gone down to New Orleans? And, well, I, and, and when was the last time you were down there? I've,
1: I was just uh, down there once. It was a really fascinating trip. First of all, it was Missy Bond, not Molly. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, who's I'm the lovely sorry, I'm wife sorry, of the great New Orleans guitar player, That's all right, and she's married to Camille Baudouin, who's the uh, longtime guitar player with the New Orleans band, uh, The Radiators, and I'm so glad she hooked you up. I was down there in around 1999 or 2000, I had a very good friend of mine named Ken Jacob. He was the... um, first sound man for Cats from the Stars in the early 80s. His father was the head of hematology at the University of Minnesota. And that year he was president of the International Association of Hematologists. Every year that organization would have a yearly get together. If it was gonna be in Italy, they would hang. If it was gonna be in Japan, they had uh, um, Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, this year it was going to be in New-, New Orleans, and he called me up and he said, "Well, who should I get to play?" I said, "Well, you got to get the world's greatest uh, band of all time, and my favorite, the Neville Brothers." So the Neville Brothers played. I was the MC. It was at the um, Mardi Gras World where they make all the floats. Yeah, and it was catered by Paul Prudhomme. It couldn't have been a more New Orleans experience.
0: Well, and and that that's incredible because I mean, I mean. the the Neville Brothers, they are, one of the things that's clear down there, and I mean obviously they were fantastic, they're known nationally. They are it's like prints up here. They are so you know intertwined with the city itself, you can't separate the two of them. And and you know, and so you that it is it's about it I mean, at Mardi Gras World, you could not roll dice and get more New Orleans. The uh, let, let me ask you, the when you I go down there, one of the things that was interesting, and, and once again you're right, Missy, thank you very much to Missy. Uh, I I said Molly earlier, but that was my mistake. Missy, who helped us out, she gave us some great advice. Sent us over to Tipitina's, uh in New Orleans, outside of the the tourist area, and I caught a fantastic band called Rory Danger and the Danger Dangers, which is was phenomenal. Where they were phenomenal, and and you know, let me ask you what you think. Minneapolis, I think, is a great music town. New Orleans is a great music town. If you, with your experience, what do you think makes a town a great music town?
1: It the thing about New Orleans, uh, if, if you would compare it to Minneapolis, it has really uh, deeper roots. It goes back, you know, several hundred years, and has that beautiful mix of a uh, Creole, uh, French descendants, it's right? Uh, you know, uh, the the Delta blues. It is such a, a mixing pot. Of uh, what became American music and of course you know you had the uh, you know the uh, birthplace of rock and roll down there with uh, uh, Fats Domino and the rest so it's just but what I love about New Orleans and and what I love about Minneapolis Matt is it is open to all styles of music uh, you can go down to walk into five clubs in New Orleans or five clubs in Minneapolis here, hear five different types of music. I th- also think the one thing we have in common is the great Mississippi River. Now, uh, Louis Armstrong used to come up on riverboats and get as far as St. Paul. So a lot of those musicians uh, would travel up and down the Mississippi and it was really where a lot of the uh, that music uh, Came from one town to another, and and the uh, beautiful cross pollination uh, of all those musics is is what really the bedrock of American music.
0: You know, you mentioned Armstrong. I went down to the Armstrong Park down there, and you mentioned it right across the street in a building which doesn't look like anything is a sign for J and M Recording Studio. This was, uh, you know, back in the early days of rock and roll. Uh, Fats Domino, Little Richard, uh, Professor Longhair, uh, they all recorded there. It's a, it was for many years a laundromat, and it kind of is disheveled now, but I went in there just because they have the area where the recording happened. I wanted, I wanted to just go see it because, it—you it, know it, as you said, it, it's, it's an eclectic music scene, but it has so many – New Orleans is amazing because it has so many benchmarks – that are in there. The beginning of jazz, you know, the, the the beginning of rock and roll, you know, the continuation of jazz. The fact that it's it's also produced from this great southern rock. I mean, it is. It really is an incredible place. Considering it's a city that's probably half the size of Minneapolis, Saint Paul.
1: Yeah, it's uh, well, world renowned, of course, but it's just you can feel it if when you get in a certain neighborhoods down there, you can feel the music. I mean, you'll eventually be able to hear it. It doesn't take long to do that, but you could just kind of feel it the the way the people interact. Uh, You know, I had nothing but great experience meeting bartenders and people on the street and I went to record stores and uh, it, it just had a really magnanimous approach to anyone that was visiting, and uh, I'd love to spend more time there. Let me ask you, Matt. Did you get? Uh, were you able to find some good things to eat down?
0: There? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Well, there's there's the there's the things which are the standard for like the yeah. muffuletta sandwich from the Central Grocer, uh, the beignets from Cafe Dumont, You go and do those. But I came across uh, charbroiled oysters over at the Royal House. Unbelievable. And, um, you know, as well as uh, also the the po boys and the gumbo, the jambalaya, got some black and catfish. I, I, you know, it just was all amazing down there. And the th- the thing, which is, you know, another thing about this city, which is amazing, I went out to the New Orleans Museum of Art, I went out there. They have a, a cafeteria. I had a fried chicken banh mi chicken sandwich out there, which was also just sensational. You cannot, in, in a city like that, where there's that standard, I mean, sure, I guess you get out on Bourbon Street, you kind of get the drunk food that's out there, but overall, you can't have bad food in that town, and it shows because everywhere I went, the food was just amazing.
1: Yeah, well, that what a uh, wonderful trip was, was it just something you decided to do for you and your wife to go down on vacation or did you have business down there what did you do
0: No, we it was, it was it was it was basically an anniversary trip. We got we got married in May, but we just, you know, we kind of did it in November. And we also my wife came up with the idea since I'm a veteran of the army, I went down to the World War II museum which is down there. And if, you've, if you get the chance to go to that, holy gosh, was that just an amazing museum. Could be one of the greatest museums I've ever been to. Uh, I spent four and a half hours in there. I didn't even really see. i I'd probably say a little more than half of it at four wow. and a half hours. It really was amazing. Um, I, I You know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really grateful I got there. But, yeah, we, we went down there. It's funny, for a guy that doesn't drink... Go to New Orleans is an interesting thing because it is kind of such geared on it. But, you you know, you can fall in love with the alcohol aside. You can fall in love with that Southern culture, the music, the food. Uh, the art, dear gosh, everywhere you look is just—it's—it's it's a photo ready to be taken. It, it really is amazing. And so, yeah, no, I, I love going there. And there are great music towns in this country. Chicago is a great music town. I—I, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously, New York is a great music town. New Orleans is just stunning because once again, it's—it's, if it's, it, for a city that's got all that it's got, it—it it seems that it, you'd think it'd be a much larger city, and it's just not. It's just, you know, about like I said, half the size of the Twin Cities.
1: And, and it also has a lot of the great old architecture. They yeah. haven't been like a lot of other cities where the building's 100 years old. Let's tear it down. So you've got visually, it's it's a wonderful, uh, it's just a wonderful place to just look around and see all the old buildings and the churches and uh did you, did you get to Congo Square?
0: Yes, I did. That's up in Armstrong Park because, and for, for, for people that don't know, Congo Square is an area that at one point um, that, that was kind of where, a, 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 that when the city had slaves, the slaves would go up there. It's kind of north of the French Quarter. They'd go up there and they'd hang out and they'd get together. Uh, there'd be music and, and, and activity there. And eventually it became known for uh, kind of as a place for voodoo, but there's one the thing that was interesting, a lot of people were trying to cor- correct that when I was down there. They were talking about, like, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, that she was actually a devout Catholic, and that this was more. They feel as if it was more that when people got sick down there, and people got sick all the time because it was the tropics, when people got sick, they'd sometimes turn to kind of more traditional medicines from the African cultures. And when that didn't work, there was a tendency to blame the people that were trying to heal them as being you know, evil and voodoo and all these things. And so they're trying to clean a lot of that imagery up necessarily as far as that goes. Doesn't mean there isn't voodoo. Doesn't mean there isn't some elements to that. But at the same time, it was, Congo Square was when when I learned about that, I said we got to make sure I stop by there because that's that's kind of an amazing piece of history too.
1: Well, it's the other interesting thing about Congo Square when the uh, slaves would gather there. Of course, uh, there was so much percussion and so many you know, hand instruments playing percussion that what I've heard that a lot of times uh, slaves and then tribes would communicate with different drum patterns. And that's uh, when when my band, Cats and the Stars, started to play in Minneapolis quite a bit in the early 80s, there was a fellow named Mike Starnes who worked for City Pages, who spent a lot of time in New Orleans. So he'd bring back all these tapes of the Neville brothers mm-hmm. and the meters. And uh, so my band, we were probably one of the first bands along with Willie and the Bumblebees that were playing a lot of those New Orleans rhythms. And that's probably the one thing New Orleans owns is just the is the polyrhythms, yeah. you know, magic and uh, and the voodoo of the
0: rhythms. Oh well, and it's it's music that you know it's it it can't be taught. It's something you have to learn through time. And 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 I think that that is you know there are so many people there that are dedicated to music, 24/7, 365. I think that that's one of those things that can happen. I would love to see something more like that up here. I mean, I like I said, I think Minneapolis has got a great music history. You've got going from Dylan to Prince. You know, you've got a lot of you know the, the replacements. You've got you know uh, uh, Lizzo. You've got a lot of things that happen here. But you got great blues, you got great you know, jazz, you got great you know country western. You have all the elements here. I, I wish we could you know. I mean, granted, we're not in a warm enough climate where we can have people walking up and down the street and have music there twenty you know, all year long. But I, I would love to see them do more here because there is something that's addictive to a city that you go in and everywhere you turn there's music playing.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's really it's really embedded in their culture, like you said. I mean, it happens with with kids down there. There's, uh, uh, you, you know, you look at the uh, the Neville brothers, all those uh, Cyril Neville, Aaron Neville, Art Neville. It it all came from the same family, and all of their kids are still playing. Um, so it's just it's not only a part of the musical tradition; it's part of the uh, the, the just the family tradition, and uh, it's it's kind of what makes that town so special. I've been honored. I opened up for the Neville Brothers uh, at the Guthrie Theater. Wow! And uh, wow! Talk about uh, daunting task. Uh, White solo guitar player o- opening up for the greatest black band of our time. <laughs> and uh, But it went well. They were all really nice. And I've seen the Nevels s- several times over the years. I also did a show years ago with Sonny Earl. I'll put a little plug here uh, while I'm thinking. Sonny Earl and I will be doing our 25th anniversary at the Dakota Jazz Club on December 20th. And uh, Sonny and I played a great gig years ago at... Uh, jackpot junction one of the casinos in southwestern minnesota wonderful gig it, bobby blue bland uh dr john maria moldor buddy guy and johnny lang and then uh, we played it was a long c- gig i kind of famous Dave where i was working for at the time was doing the catering so we played between all the acts it turned out to be about six hour gig all said and done uh from us but i've been very fortunate to hear a lot of those uh new orleans musicians and and uh play with them there's a really good there's some other there was a guy he passed away named john mooney who would i suggest uh, people that can do another guy named willie deville who made his name in new york city but spent a lot of time in new orleans you can't really go wrong with a new orleans musician
0: maria Mulder, midnight at the oasis you were playing with her
1: yeah, oh. I, uh, uh, yeah, I uh, played and I had the pleasure of booking her uh, a couple times when I was the music director at Famous Dave's and, uh, and Midnight at the Oasis, I like to add, has the greatest recorded guitar solo of all time uh, by a fellow Canadian guy named Amos Garrett. Uh, you know, I can listen to that tune and just wait for that guitar solo. I remember when I first heard it when it came on and 73 or 74, It still to this day is one of the greatest guitar solos ever.
0: Well, I remember Maria Mulder when she was with Jim Queskin in the Jug Band uh, out of San Francisco, and that was an amazing group. Those guys were phenomenal. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Jim
1: Queskin, those guys came out of uh, Boston, but Maria Mulder was an actual, she grew up, Uh, her name was Maria D'Amato she grew up in Greenwich Village and so she was uh, I got to know her I did an interview with her on the Wall of Power Radio Hour years ago I think we were celebrating Bob Dylan's 75th birthday and Maria told me a great story she got to know Bob when he first came to New York City and then Bob used to hitchhike up and play in Boston so she knew him from both places But she told a great story, and she's a wonderful storyteller. In fact, she just hasn't had a new record out about about a year or so ago with a a New Orleans band. It's not coming to you right this minute. You could just Google Maria and I'm sure it'll come up. But she told this great story, man. So they were, everybody, Maria and another friend of hers, they always kind of seemed like surrogate mothers for Bob because Bob was a... Little 21 year old guy new in town, and, and he came over to Maria's apartment once. And and uh, he had cut his finger. And so Maria goes, So he needed a band aid for his boo boo, <laughs> and so they uh they put it the band aid on his finger. And he said, Oh, I'd like to play, I just wrote this song. And while they were sitting in their kitchen after they bandaged him up, he played his new song with God on our side.
0: Wow. Wow. And, and and did the bandage the playing? My goodness. <laughs> they um, I I think that cured
1: everything, but uh <laughs> imagine hearing that song from for the first time from the guy that wrote it. Uh
0: uh paul let's take a break here uh paul metza joining us for this hour here we're talking about we're gonna get to jack ruby and re- re-releasing that as well as other things as long as, as how hey paul how much time do you have when do you need to be done here today
1: i can, we can go to the end of the show i'd love to
0: oh beautiful beautiful paul metza with a, oh no it's my pleasure dude I could talk with you all day long about music about uh, do you know Target is selling wild rice that's not from Minnesota okay I'll, I'll let that settle in for a second here we'll get to that here maybe in a little bit as well uh, Paul Metz joining us this hour we'll, we'll talk about Jack Ruby as a matter of fact when we come back we'll talk about that song when we do return it's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950 <laughs> AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Paul Metza, kind enough to join us today uh, as he is going to be re-releasing his his song, Jack Ruby, in commemoration of of the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK, which is hard to kind of even comprehend that, that date. is that It was 60 years ago uh, that happened. Uh, Paul, talk. let's talk about that right now. What prompted you to say, you know what, I want to re- revisit the song and re-release it for the 60th anniversary?
1: Well, I, let's go back a little bit if you don't mind sure. and uh, tell the story about the genesis of the song. I was uh, like a lot of people out there in the listening audience, Matt. I was seven years old uh, when, I, when I saw uh, Jack Ruby shoot Lee Harvey Oswald on television. Of course, we were all just in a uh, just suspended grief from the assass- assassination of the president. And then, to, and then uh, you know, it was wall-to-wall TV coverage. Uh, of of the events and what was going on in D.C. and in the upcoming funeral, and uh, but as a young seven-year-old growing up on uh, uh, the Iron Range in Virginia, Minnesota, it was the first time evil had the, the concept of evil had ever entered my life. So I was you know incredibly stunned uh, by it, as were millions of others. But really, in retrospect, it was almost the first reality television uh over the years uh you know i was voracious reader when i was young and uh then the warren commission came out and that's uh you know they tried to solve that as the the be all end all explanation that uh lee harvey oswald was the only shooter And Jack Ruby then acted alone, as did Lee Harvey Oswald. And as I got older, I started to read books on it. Now, I was always kind of enchanted with the name Jack Ruby. That just had a kind of a poetic sound to it. His real name was Jack Rubinstein, Chicago native. But that had always kind of stuck in the back of my mind that for something with such a dark period of American history that this guy could have a name that really was quite poetic. So I had read God, I don't know, by the time I I wrote this song, maybe 15, 20 books on it. The first book I read in the early eighties that really got me down, there's no bigger rabbit hole when you go online now than the uh, uh, the JFK assassination. Back then, all you had was books the occasional radio show. Uh, But it was a book called uh, uh, Best Evidence by a a fellow by the name of David Lifton. And David Lifton was a UCLA student. And they, uh, upon watching the uh, horrific video of JFK being shot, he said, how can you be uh, thrown backwards if the bullet came from behind. Yep. So that was the first book that I really jumped into to start to study his uh, interpretation of the event and his questions. I read, like I said, a dozen or so more. Then in 1992, I read a, a newspaper article where Jack Ruby's brother was selling off some of Jack Ruby Ruby's artifacts to pay off for tax lien, including his Kavanaugh hat. And at that moment, uh, to wherever, you know, uh, Leonard Cohen called it the the Tower of Song, but these words came from the top floor of the Tower of Song, Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat. Whoever taught you to shoot a pistol like that. You snuck in the basement and you stood in the back, Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat. And it came to me as quickly as I just said it. And I wrote it down. And I said, here's the song called Jack Ruby. So I was up all night, uh, I got, you know, probably started working at five in the afternoon and finished it at about nine the next morning. I put all my books on the floor. Uh, what I really wanted to do was was study more about Jack Ruby. And so I was able to do that with with the books I had had. I had one line, just one phrase of one of the verses, a 12 verse song, that I needed, uh, I needed to plug in. So I was uh, lucky enough to be very good friends with David Carr, who is one of the greatest journalists in American history. He was writing for the Twin Cities Reader at the time, went on to uh, for 10 years to write for the New York Times with their media column. And I called him up, and uh, I, I, I told him the line, and he said, uh, stock and trade, um, how?" President murder became Your Stock and Trade. So I plugged that in. So I got to give Carr a little credit for the song. But by about mid-morning, I had the whole song. Right around that time, my other good friend, Tom Arnold, who had since moved out to L.A., with David Carr and Tom Arnold and I got to know each other in about 83 or 84. We were all kind of coming into our own. I was making a name for myself as a musician. Tom was making a name for himself as a comedian. David was making a name for himself as a journalist. And we all really hit it off. Uh, we used to hang out at a place downtown called McCready's Pub and got in a little trouble with each other at that place and uh, other other uh, nightclubs around the Twin Cities area. But we were always very supportive of each other's art. And so fast forward now, I've written the song, first part of 1990, 92, and Tom Arnold and his then wife Roseanne Barr were uh, asked to emcee Farm 85 5 in Dallas, Texas. I had written a song. I put it out on a 45, uh, uh, 45 single, RPM single called Ferris Wheels on the Farm. Tom sent it to Willie Nelson. Uh, Willie probably rolled a joint on it, I doubt <laughs> if he even listened to the song. But because, uh, you know, Tom was doing the thing, he he did it for a favor for Tom. So Tom, bless his heart, uh, uh, invited me down to play two songs, uh, flew me down, put me up, couldn't have been nicer. And so I got there the day before uh, the performance. Now, this was a hell of a show, Matt. Uh, Headliners were Willie Nelson, Neil Young, John Mellencamp, Paul Simon, Leonard Skinner, Joe Walsh, uh, really a cast of thousands, a lot of great Texas musicians like my good friend Joe Ely and others. So we went there, my friend Tom Latimer and I went there the night before to check out the sound check. When I go into a a new town, I always like to, if I can get into uh, the venue a night before, I'd like to get a feel for where the gig's going to be. We happened to be there in Texas Stadium during the sound check. Deck. and so we're just kind of hanging out in an empty stadium and i'll never forget paul simon was trying to teach willie nelson's willie nelson's band the boxer and mm-hmm. i just read a thing yesterday how many guitar players had to actually perform on that recording of the boxer by Simon and Garfunkel. because it's a very complex student and at one point uh paul just kind of you know threw his hands in there and said it's not going to work you know willie's band was great they could follow Willie like rattle on a, you know, rattlesnake's uh, tail, but uh, not. it wasn't so easy following Paul Simon. Well, anyway, uh, that day I was supposed to play my song, Ferris Wheels on the Farm, and another song I'd written called Slow Justice. And I asked myself the question that I've asked myself over the years when I get in these situations, and that is, what would Woody Guthrie do? And I said, yeah, I'm there. I'm supposed to sing Fair Schools on the Farm, but I have this hot new number called Jack Ruby. I'm probably within 10 miles of Dealey Plaza at that point. So I debuted Jack Ruby at Texas Stadium in front of about 20,000 unsuspecting Texans. Uh, you could track that performance down. Farm put it up several years ago on YouTube. I, then i also i played my other song slow justice that i wrote in 1984 for the p9 strike in austin texas but i changed the line for that performance uh to kind of uh shadow what was going on in the news and that line went uh someday those in congress will have to swallow a bitter pill they believe clarence thomas but i believe Anita hill So anyway, I was kind of Johnny on the spot with my protest songs that day. When I got done playing, I went backstage, took off my guitar and replayed earlier in the day. It was about a 10 hour show. Tom was nice enough to take our recorded performance and put it in the national broadcast uh, of Farm Aid that was on CMT uh, network that night. But when I got off stage, I walked by Willie's bus and Chris Christofferson got off, and there was plumes of smoke (laughs) coming off Willie's butt. I mean, I literally got a contact eye just from watching that door open. But uh, Chris and Willie were watching the uh, broadcast on the TV in the bus, and Chris came out out to me personally and looked at me, and he said, man, that was really good. He goes, I haven't heard songs like that in years. So that was just one part of a really amazing afternoon and then the, uh, to top it all off we were sitting around and it was it was heavy duty i mean the performance so uh so i can't remember what order it was but neil young went out and played southern man and then leonard skinnard uh went out and played what's their uh uh their southern song they name check neil young sweet home alabama and so it was you know there was Politics and revolution in the air, so we're hanging out afterwards in the green room, and uh, Den- and Dennis Hopper was one of the MCs. So we're hanging out with Dennis, and I gave him my CD, and and uh, I always carry my CDs around at gigs like that, or when I'm walking around New York City, because you never know who you're going to bump into. David Carr used to when we'd go backstage at a concert in Minneapolis. He would always refer to Oh, Metzler just slimed the headliner again with, with one of his records. Uh-huh. But uh, so we're sitting there, Matt, and uh, who walks in but the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? And so they said uh, to myself, my buddy uh, Tom, they said, "Would you like a?" The den mother of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders said would you like a picture with the girls? <laughs> I said, oh yeah, we would definitely like a picture with the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. So the picture from that day, uh, that was my Christmas card for the next year. Uh, to this may have a lot of um, uh, my feminist friends, and I consider myself a feminist, but it was kind of like mezzo with the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. That's only going to happen one time in my life. But what was interesting about playing Jack Ruby for the Texas audience, my friend Tom took a picture of two dallas cops looking up at the jumbotron while, while i was playing and you could tell by the looks on their face faces said what the hell does this yankee think he's doing oh yeah but matt i live i live to tell the story well,
0: you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that is gutsy because you have to remember that that's uh, you know they they don't want you know, Texas has got a very different mentality towards that what happened there than the rest of the country does. So, bravo to you. Now, you know, okay, were you in the picture with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and Dennis Hopper? Was Dennis Hopper part of your Christmas card?
1: No, he wasn't. Although I have a picture of Dennis and I, but uh, I'll uh, I will uh, I'll text the uh, photo of myself and the and the cheerleaders. It's, nice. uh They're a delightful dozen uh, Texas gals. They're, they could have been nicer.
0: <laughs> That's one of the greatest stories ever. So you you put out this is this is by the way is Farm Farm Aid five and we and did you get a chance to speaking of Willie did you see Willie in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, broadcast uh, him getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Did you see any of that? I
1: saw just a clip of it and uh anytime I've seen Willie like when they did the 90th birthday party at the Hollywood Bowl that's I guess coming out as a uh, special you know I have nothing but tears in my eyes when I see that guy now he sits on a stool I did see him at uh uh at Target Stadium about four years ago and uh his guitar player had passed away um jody Payne. so willie took most of the guitar solos his sister bobby was still playing and it was a smaller band but uh i i've seen willie 15 times over the years he's like one of my biggest heroes but when you see him now uh sitting on that stool at 90 years old i can't help but tear up i mean i just love the guy
0: Oh, my dad was a huge fan. I grew up with Willie Nelson. You know, watch him there at the the, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They go through the farm aid and you don't realize how, you know, how, I mean, he was right from the beginning. That this is, you're trying to wipe out the family farm and you realize at the end that all the good work that he and Mellencamp did on farm aid. You were at farm aid five in Dallas in 93. All these farm aids he did. You know, it was basically they were going against the stream, but they kept doing it because they believed in the family farmer. And if that's not the most American thing I've ever heard, I mean, being part of that, being part with all these people, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, you know, the cops in the stadium getting mad. I mean, it is just it is, you know, you're fighting for America here and you're fighting with a guitar as you do it. And, 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 you know, it's just it, it shows in the story you just told.
1: Well, Brownie McGee, uh, the blues player, who played uh, for years with Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry. one of my huge heroes. I learned a lot. I stole a lot of Brownie licks. He had, uh, he had two great lines. One was, uh, My guitar is my weapon against the world. And his other great line is, uh, suits and t- suits and ties—they just don't harmonize.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that could be my mentor right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
1: never walk. You, you you never do your show with a suit and tie. I know okay. that for a
0: fact. I look at Stein when he does it on Wednesday. I'm like, what are you doing, man? This is—I got into this job because I could do t-shirts and shorts the entire year. <laughs> yeah,
1: right, right, right. But uh, but I you know the one thing uh, uh, I'm. You know, I'm proud of what I've been able to do in my career. You know, I can't say I've I've grasped the brass ring, but I've touched it a few times, and um, it's I've I've really had, to, to, you know, I grew up really uh, influenced by folk and blues. I did my first New York City gig at Gertie's Folk City, where Dylan played his debut. And I've gotten to meet people like uh, Taj Mahal and John Hammond Jr. I met Bob Dylan at the uh, at Artist's Quarter in 1982. And uh, so, I you know, the Neville brothers, the list goes on and on that I've had the good fortune to play with. But speaking of Dylan and Farm Aid, Willie Nelson got the idea for Farm Aid because when Bob Dylan played Live Aid. He had mentioned, he goes, Geez, why don't we do something like this for the American farmer? Willie mm-hmm. really watched the broadcast, and that's where Willie got the idea for Farm Aid. So we got to give Dylan some props on Farm Aid as well.
0: Absolutely. I, I want to mention you're releasing a video here to go along with this uh, in conjunction with producer John McCauley. Talk a little bit about that.
1: I've known John uh for years he's a great videographer a great marketer uh he's a photographer and uh really has an artistic sense and he approached me with the 50th anniversary of the gfk assassination coming up he offered to uh partner with me and do a video uh for my song jack ruby so he put it together i did a lip sync from the music box theater on 14th and nicolette and then he and his team put some great visuals together you can if all of the, both my live performance at farm Aid and the uh, video is available at paulmetza.com you can also just google paul metza jack ruby and find it uh but we just not uh, you know i i knew the 60th anniversary was coming up so we uh, decided to re-release it which we did we put out a national press release. We threw a few bucks at about 10 days ago. It ended up on about 232 online news sites uh, across the country. And there's still, uh, uh, I was just on Almanac North up here in Duluth on WSDSV TV. And there's a couple of other interviews that are probably coming up uh, next week, but it was just um, uh, a, a good reason to get the song out there. and you know when I've been, but not to make light of the assassination, uh, it was my Huffington Post did an article on me years ago and called Jack Ruby the last great American folk song. I wrote it in the uh, kind of the style of the folk song, uh, John Hardy and John Henry, and uh, so I think the song has stood the te- uh, the test of time. I didn't point out anyone in particular but there's so many theories about who was behind the assassination so i did name check uh the cia what was going on besides the behind the grassy knoll uh happening in in, in uh, texas county the land of lbj and uh, or did the mob or oil money get in the way as as the lyrics go there was an interesting book that just came out that uh, i just ordered called The Last Witness uh, by Paul Landis, who's 88 years old. He was a young 24-year-old Secret Service agent on uh, on detail that day in Dealey Plaza. He found, and this was uh, under wraps for years until the book came out, he found a bullet that was behind JFK in the limousine uh, that he had put when they went to parkland hospital he put the bullet on jfk's stretcher somehow that bullet ended up on john conley's stretcher and that became the bullet that they referred to as the magic bullet that supposedly went through kennedy and then went through conley and then ended up basically untouched on conley's uh stretcher so it once again raises uh Questions. It, it'll never be solved, but it is a, it's kind of been a, a bit of a lifelong fascination with me. There's a, a three-day event going on at Duquesne University in, uh, in Pittsburgh this week where a lot of the people are getting together, uh, various authors. I just spoke with a guy named Danny Singer, author. He has a new book out called Jack Ruby, and uh, that's going to end up on my doorstep here in just a few days so it's it's the the continuing mystery wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a mystery and um, i was glad i was able to present my view in song kind of as uh what you you know it's kind of focusing in one-on-one if you can Mm -hmm. do it do it you know
0: well, and, and if I can say, you know, when you when you look back at the great, you know, someone like Woody Guthrie, who is singing about what he saw in America, here it is the same exact thing. You're singing about what you saw and you're not about to basically, you know, in this case of playing in Dallas, you took the opportunity to sing it there as opposed to hide from singing it there. And that's, I think, why the, that song has now become, a, 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 is considered one of the great American folk songs. It's good that you're releasing it and I'm, I'm glad. I've I got two things here. First of all, I do want to thank you greatly for getting me in touch with Missy down in New Orleans because she was phenomenal. And uh, I owe you for that one, my friend, because she, she drove us definitely in the right direction. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah. And you know, she's also a DJ occasionally, uh, they live outside of Marine Saint Croix, her and Camille. But she occasionally still DJs that so she has for on WWOZ. I don't know if you got a chance to hear that wonderful radio station in New Orleans.
0: I found but, it. Uh, I found the state. That's the station that's right down there uh, by the French Market. It's exactly. Yeah. It's- I found the station. I, I almost went and knocked on the door and said, "Is Missy here? I don't think I don't think they would appreciate that. I also want to put you on point right now. I'm going to have you back. We're gonna do an hour with you over the holidays if we can because we did it last year. it was an absolute great hour. Uh, this is' it's, it's these kind of stories that I, I can't pass up. so you know let me let's talk, let's find out what time we can get in and record you and we can do one of the brand new to you shows that we do over the holidays with you for an hour if that's okay.
1: Great, and then you know I've got my song Christmas at Molly's, so it's about that time of year to to uh, respark that one and get it out there on the airways. But man, it's always a pleasure. I can't believe we spoke for a whole hour and we didn't even say didn't anything speak. about pasties.
0: I didn't speak. You, you I'm not going to get in the way. I was. I, I can talk about Wild Rice Day. Here's the deal. Uh, when we we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, uh, Paul, we're going to play the full Jack Ruby for everyone out there to take us out on a Friday. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks. Paul Metz, everybody. Uh, yeah, American legend. An absolute freaking American legend. An absolute freaking American legend. God, I, I just, the I can't tell you how cool it is to get to sit and just chat with the guy and hear his stories because it's, it's some of the best radio I'll ever do. I just, I love talking with him. I love this. I just, I love Paul Metzi. He's fantastic. Uh, Jack Ruby, look for the video. Go get the song. Uh, request it from your favorite radio station that plays music. But I'll tell you what, today we'll play some music when we come on back. Jack Ruby, when we do return, it's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota is the Matt McNeil Show. A quick little reminder we got Native Roots Radio, I'm Awake, that's coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. Make sure you stick around for that. We are gone for the rest of the weekend. Have a fantastic weekend. To play us out on a Friday it's Paul Metza, Jack Ruby right here on AM 950 the progressive voice of Minnesota. Have a good weekend until next week. See ya! Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a
2: camera Ever talk you to shoot a pistol like that Or oh, you snuck in the basement and you stood in the back Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Cavanaugh hat Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old On the south side of Chicago you looked up to Capone Stole girls' lunch, money, meat boys on the way home Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 21, oh, you traded brass knuckles for a caliber gun in the Sherman Hotel. Bootleg whiskey did run. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 21. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were thirty-five Set off shop in Dallas, you had nothing to hide A nightclub of hookers and cops side by side Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were thirty-five